Hello and welcome to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. It is incredibly hot out for most of us. For any Americans in the crowd and on staff, it's the start of a long weekend. It is a little bit of a quieter period after a surprisingly crazy month of June. We are already somehow halfway through the year, which seems kind of crazy to me, but it is what it is. My name is Brian Vitale. Let me go through who we have here with us today. Uh, we have Josh Torres. My third eye has awakened. We have Adam Vitale. Hey, guys. James Galizio. Hey. Chow Min Wu. What's up? And joining us on the uh, TetraCast for the first time, we've got a newer contributor to the site, Paige Detlefson. It's 4.30 a.m. Let's go. Yeah, so the context there is that uh, Paige is a contributor from Australia. Yeah. So we've always kind of felt bad about having uh, George, who is not here today, he's under the weather, um, come in late from the evening from the uh, other side of the Atlantic. And now Paige is uh, going the other direction from the other side of the Pacific, for, for, for those of us in North America anyway. So thank you for being uh, unreasonable in terms of your hours that you keep. And 4 a.m., might as well just stay up another couple. You're already awake. You're not going to bed anytime soon. Mm. Well, my, my man works night shifts, so it works out. <laughs> All right. Uh, how's it down there right now? Cold. Is, is it is it cold? Hot? Cold? Cold? All right. Winter. winter. It's is it winter over there? Is that is that <laughs> how the globe works? <laughs> that, oh my gosh. Yeah. Really? Do you know what a hemisphere is? Well, I mean I, I mean I knew I'm ashamed to say that I understood this only because I used to play Overwatch and there was a joke skin for uh, junk rat for the holiday where it was just him and like summer get up. <laughs> That's actually really clever. This is how geography works. Yeah. Oh, this is this is new territory for uh for for us and for Josh, so forgive him. Look, I've only known the heat for the longest time since I live in SoCal and um it's we either don't have seasons. Yeah, we, we only have, have like like summer and kind of fall. I I can't remember the last time I've heard like I've seen winter uh here, so you you have to forgive me. I have to have trouble visualizing these things. I live in the Americans. The... Go ahead. They added Southern Hemisphere to the new Animal Crossing. Like, you go, how do you not know now? I don't play Animal Crossing anymore, so I can't even. I can't even learn from Animal Crossing these days. Damn. <laughs> I mean, I live in the American Southwest, so our two seasons are like summer and wind. That's it. <laughs> Western Canada, and I got massive heat. Oh yeah, now. yeah. It's been like breaking records every day. Anyways, enough about the weather. Talk about the weather some other time. Uh, we're kind of back to like uh, after the last couple podcasts, where obviously we had this big, weird pseudo E3 week, followed by a bunch of fallout from that week, a lot of different independent but aligned events going on with a lot coming out of every single one of those. Now we're back to kind of like a little bit of a sense of normalcy. Like July does have a lot of RPGs on the docket. We tweeted out kind of like the schedule of all of our coverage, uh, the games that are in our purview. And it is quite a busy week, especially for for certain contributors named James who have a lot going on. Uh, but it's a bit <laughs> it's a bit a uh, more of a normal a normal cadence for us from this point forward, at least until the holiday season. For anyone that's new, I'll kind of just go ahead and give a little bit of an overview. We kind of run this podcast in two kind of discrete halves. 
what we will start with is we'll just kind of go through games we've been playing. Usually this tends to go, obviously, for like newer releases. It does tend to go for RPGs. But uh, anything's on the table. Like we, We'll just go through what we've been playing without any sort of discrimination on, on what's allowed and what's not. And I guess since we have Paige here with us, we will just go ahead and start with her. We did talk about uh, a few of the games that she had covered for the site ahead of time. She did the Metopia on Switch review for us and also the uh, the Disgaea 6 review for us just last week. Uh, so it's to put you on the spot, Paige. You're free to yeah. talk about any game in the last week or since, you're, since it's your first time here, it could be like longer than that. Uh, you're free to talk about whatever you wish. So take it away. Um, well, like you said, I should probably talk about Disgaea 6, but then I've also reviewed it, so I don't know much, much more there is to say about it. Well, like we kind of other... go through, and even if someone's written a review, they can kind of yeah. elaborate on points that don't always come through in the text, or you just kind of make the assumption that not everyone listening, like including us, have read the review top to bottom. You can just, it's okay <laughs> if you kind of retread like the same ground. So just like, what did you think of the game in general? Or have you played the other games in the series? Or is it a step um, up, step down? Five, um, and a tiny bit of one, but that's basically it. But yeah, just going even just from five to six, like the amount of things they changed was like a lot. I had to like open up five to be like, oh, what have they, what have they done? Yeah, set set the stage for us. So people like you know who either are not like familiar with Disgaea or like are coming from Disgaea five, like basically Disgaea like to anyone who knows RPGs, it's a big, big, long running SRPG series uh, by Nipponichi Software. You know, and to a lot of fans, like the Sky of Five is kind of like the peak of that because it has so many insane things. Like a lot of people know it for like the big, big, big numbers that that it has, and then a lot of people know it for like item world or character world. Like, uh, so tell us a little bit about like going to this. What were your expectations uh, for it, and how did how did it uh, shape up? Well, I did play the demo for it first before it released, and then that actually made me rather confused because that's when I first came across all these different changes, like the accidentally activating the auto battle for one thing um um yeah my initial impressions were that i thought it wasn't very smart but then when i actually played it like i tried to see like how many of the campaign levels i could do on its own and i had some ones with particular maps like with teleport pads or it just it just got stuck on a loop because it didn't know where to go yeah. um and auto battle like one... the series right like the this is the first disgaea that has auto battle yes other okay. than like the, the phone game but we don't <laughs> <laughs> oh right, I that's, forgot. That doesn't yeah, play uh, like the other games. So yeah. like, <laughs> so we, we, yeah, we don't talk about those here. <laughs> no, yeah, the, but referring to the Disgaea RPG mobile game, it's a turn-based RPG instead of a strategy RPG. So mm -hmm. that, of course, being a gotcha game has yeah. like an auto battle quality of life features. I think one of the like when there people were when Nippon Ichi was selling this game or marketing this game, and uh, in regards to the auto battle, there's this whole system kind of like the Gambit system FF12, where mm -hmm. you can like program things. Can you uh, talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's so basically under, oh, yeah, yeah, unlock it through, like, the Dark Assembly, you got to vote for it, like, do the voting, bribing process, and then you can, like, unlock more features of it. Um, so it's basically you pick, it's sort of like in this little grid, and you start with something where it's, like, forgetting which order it is, let me see, it was, like, to who, or, like, to, like, it's either what to who, like, when yeah when you do something so like if your health is below 50 percent, yes or no and then it goes like across and down and then if you're like if it is then you go target this enemy and then pick the attack you're doing 
and basically start chaining those trains of thoughts down. So it's sort of just going like, yeah, so like programming, you got the yes or no conditions for this happens. And if this doesn't happen, then look for this. And if nearest ally is low on health, heal them, things like that. So you can so get really a lot fancy. like the Gambit system. Yeah, I I played that game, but I did see when I actually oh. did a demo impressions video before <laughs> I did the review. People did compare it to that. Um, but it's really cool how much you can program it. I did see that it was a lot of the different stuff you could do seemed geared towards using it in the item world because a lot of them had to do with, like some of the, the options specifically for taking care of um, targeting innocents and stuff like that. Um, so it's basically just a lot of like uh, if then statements and then like, yeah, conditions on top of it. It's just like little chains, and then you've got like how much space you can to fit fit the chain in. Um, so that's how you got to connect it. So like, um, so you can put stops or wait, and then yeah, it's everything that's got to be connected after like if. Is, is there happens, any way? Yes. Is there any way to like set like uh, presets? So like for for. Oh, yeah, there are, there are templates. So there's like okay. the basic one. Like there's ones that aren't templates, which is the basic focus on attack or heal when low, but there's also templates you can use, and then you can mess around and edit with the templates as well. So that helps you understand how it works better. That sounds pretty cool. Like I kind of like those kind of systems where it kind of really tinkers with you. It reminds me of those PS1 uh, robot battler games where you actually go down and like program part to part those robots and how they fight each other. Uh, the, what can you tell us about like the story in this one? Like, uh, what are we talking about? Like, in terms of like main uh, critical path, how long will that take to beat? I just, it depends how much she's the auto battle, I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> Everything I think... goes back to auto battle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but because the game is sort of poly built, like because the way the levels go, you expects you to use at least a little bit because of the super reincarnation that it won't like it tries to encourage you to use that system. What's the super reincarnation system for people who don't know? So that sounds pretty neat. So in the story, it's that Zed, your main character, has the wish to defeat the god of destruction. And so he will keep, every time he like fails and dies, he'll reincarnate and be put on to the best possible path to, to fulfilling his wish until it happens. So like you'll go to the world. The reason he can do that is because he's a zombie, right? He's like, he's, his name is Zed and he's a zombie. No, it's a uh -huh. spell. It's a special spell. Okay. Um. Then the story is one thing, but in the game it's just like a new version of the reincarnation thing. Um, but this time it gives you a new resource, and then you can, when you reincarnate, you go back to level one, but you can put points into stats and like inc um, just permanent attack buffs and things like that. So you have a reason to actually want to do it. Is there an upper limit to this, or is there are, are you capped after a certain amount, or can you just do it indefinitely? I think you can. I th then you need a tiny, tiny bit of mana to do it. Um, so like you would like you keep doing it wouldn't make much sense because like you've got that levels of how much money you've got on you. You can like um, have better boost. They'd so probably want to do that when you have the some of the higher amount. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, the minimum is you only need like a tiny amount, so you could kind of keep doing it, but it'd be better off like grinding or just auto battling a little bit and then coming back and. Still reincarnating. In terms of like features, because this is the first Disgaea where uh, NIS had to, uh, they this was basically the shift to three D models finally for the Disgaea series. Since Disgaea Five was uh, still two D, like did that affect your enjoyment of the game now that it made the shift to three D? I thought that on the battlefield they looked fine, and some of the like 
the special moves because like a lot, a lot of a lot of people like is seeing the supers. I think mo most of them looked pretty good, but I did see that like they didn't really come into onto the actual map itself. They were just sort of like like it did a bit previously, but you also sometimes see the attack a tiny bit on the map. Whereas this, it completely just cuts away. Even if like they're doing a healing spell, it cuts off to another scene. Oh, oh it's just um, like it's just like a video file that plays, basically. Yeah, it's yeah, basically. Uh, um, but but it does at least count your alt colors and and that it doesn't do it in the cutscenes though. <laughs> but yeah, in the whereas in the cutscenes it looks really bad because they're still doing it. It's like they've got the visual novel style portraits as well sometimes, but they're still the cutscenes are sort of styled like as if it should have just been that because they'll just turn around and do a really stiff pose or. One of them we doing that like sort of anime uh, comedic um, knocked over kind of effect, and they're just stuck like that while people are talking for like three lines, and it just looks really awkward. Oh, okay. And oh. it would like it would be better if they just kept it like just the two D because it's clearly still sort of staged like it is. Yeah, it it does feel pretty clunky when you try to do like the, that visual novel portrait format, but like the actual models are like in a very clunky three D. And yeah, they're like their mouths don't move or anything like that. And it's like no oh. facial change, and they just turn around and pose. And stuff. <laughs> it's just it's it's like in like a Fire Emblem game or a Persona game where you've normally if there's like portraits in front of the scene, the scene might be in the background but like darkened where you can't really, like you're not meant to pay attention to like what the models are doing. It's just supposed to be like really uh, a basic interpretation of what the well what they the do have the, the portraits. Is up a little bit but then yeah there's like times where it's just the models and the text and it's like mm, they should have just yeah. <laughs> had the pictures instead because they look nice so um, one weird then... thing is that this game released in japan also on ps4 but everything on its global releases has, has been on switch uh does does it run okay like in battle with like the, the bigger attacks or does it does it buckle down uh just well, how does it turn out in performance wise i, I mean well, playing it myself i just had to skip on for most things but uh me and other people i've noticed their yeah, performance isn't very great there is inbuilt options so you have graphics balance and performance but if you play the game in performance mode then everything looks very jaggy and like someone smeared like vaseline over your screen or something <laughs> yeah i've seen screenshots and uh, it's crazy <laughs> yeah especially in handheld it's like you can't even like you need glasses <laughs> to see I wonder if the resolution for Disgaea 6 and performance mode in handheld mode is lower than just like Disgaea 3 and 4 on Vita. Because I have a feeling it might be. Does, okay, well, okay, let's say performance mode looks really. Does, does graphics mode at least look okay? Is it like enough. really choppy though? So, um, yeah, some people found like it's kind of like. But I'm not sure if it's like the frame rate or like just the cursor, and that seems really clunky Weird. so i just uh -huh. i just stuck with like the d-pad <laughs> to move around the map because otherwise it just it was really annoying um so yeah so i like saw like someone else's review where they're like oh just play it in performance mode because um otherwise it runs so bad whereas i'm like playing in graphics mode otherwise you're gonna hurt your eyes yeah it does it does feel frustrating that we we know that there is a version of this game out there that runs at a decent resolution that won't hurt your eyes and runs at a decent frame rate. But for whatever reason, whatever the, they had a marketing deal with Nintendo, it's like, well, all right, who cares about this PS4 version? So, I don't know if Adam has any like insight here, but like it was there was we never really were given or could even like 
speculate on a reason. It was just announced for localization on Switch only, and that's how it always was without any real details. I mean, we can only speculate that maybe Nintendo funded some localization or like or something. We don't know. Yeah. And like I know, I think like this guy of five, when it was ported to Switch, sold better. So maybe it was literally just well, making the PS4 version this isn't guy worth it. But five on Switch come out like at almost shortly after yeah, launch. Much later. Right? Of of the Switch itself. Yeah. It came out like it was like an early weeks, Switch title. Yeah, it came out like two weeks after the Switch came out in Japan. And then like it came out in like, I want to say May in the West. Yeah, so that would help it too because there wasn't many was games on the Switch. Switch like launch window title. Yeah. I wonder if there's any like hope. Like I wonder if this is just a time exclusive and then down the road, maybe six months to a year, we'll see it on other platforms because I'd like to try this game. Like I like the, the what I'm hearing about like the programming, the auto battle stuff because that's just how my brain works. But I'm sure I, it'll I, come I, to PC eventually. Yeah, I don't want to make these compromises for it and whatnot. Did, did you feel like, because I know since this, they had to spend a decent chunk of their budget for this game on the, the new 3D graphical engine and models and whatnot. So obviously they probably had to strip out some features from 5 to 6. Did you ever feel like, oh, this game feels too bare bones compared to uh, what I played a 5? To like A little just... bit, yeah, because they, like some of the streamlining was sort of good depending like who you ask like change like getting rid of, like replacing travel with doing the juices it's a lot like faster and easier but then they changed how the monster classes work and then they cut out a ton of the monster and a few of the other generic classes some people say like some of the generic classes were the gender variant so it just sort of that's more, my, more personal preference but there were still even though they added a few classes there was still like a decent chunk missing and then like i said in my review normally when a series moves to 3d it's so that they like it saves them money, so I don't see why they've cut out like team attack animations, why they've cut out like a bunch of classes and other things when they did the switch. Like it seems like they switched to 3D and they've lost <laughs> more. Whenever you have an iterative like series, like I'm not saying you have to always carry over everything from the previous and continuously build because that's like untenable at a time. But when you say like like team attacks are a key part of the game and they don't like, have those like like you can go to have far. team attacks like they come up with little portrait slide-ins but like there's no special animations for them oh they just feel like really budget okay yeah they're just like that they, they, they attack themselves so you can do them but you don't guess as you know what part of what some people like about sky is a spectacle seeing the crazy attack seeing like the attacks land all the numbers and stuff whereas you're just seeing like the characters unit art pop up and then they just do a normal attack it might be less enjoyable yeah that does seem that does seem at odds with like the we're gonna make this exciting giant numbers flashy moves but here's just a portrait just imagine use your mind's eye and just imagine this is exciting i mean that's also already the baseline for the game because as far as i understand like you start the game at level 9999 that's your starting level at the the game that's the tutorial because the start of the game starts with like a flash like flashback storytelling okay so they actually so start like, at level one? Yeah, you like, break into this thing. Yeah, so then, like, you go back to starting to explain when you've um, part of your story, and then, yeah, you're about level one. Okay, all right. Uh, when, I, when I saw that, I'm like, like that's the numbers in this game seem really inflated. It, yeah. Like the, um, Do you it's think like, it's too much now? Like they're leaning too much into the joke that's like, it just feels pointless with all these numbers now? Uh, 
uh, just a little bit because like because they upped the <laughs> level cap so much in this game um that's why i think it's pretty inflated with like everyone's like starting stats um and then yeah it might be hard for especially new players to sort of understand the levels when they're starting <laughs> going up in a thousand so early on yeah i was gonna um, i was gonna ask like for to people who never played this guy uh like should six be the one they start with since like since there's like it's it's bare bones that maybe it's digestible enough now or do you still think that like yeah. maybe five i feel like five is a better game but then yeah new people you know they because they don't have that basis of comparison they're not really going to be like all oh, let down by things that they didn't see um and yeah i found like the streamlining means the because a lot of what disguise is is the the management outside of battle and doing all of that i think that like there's still a few systems there, but I feel like it isn't really that hard to wrap your head around now. Right. So with that, that actually makes it sound like it is kind of a a good entry point. We just wish it maybe had a little bit more. Well, seemingly... it was kind of like I think I complained about the newer Pokemon, where it's like someone else said to me, like, "Well, I've never played one before, and I think it's great." And it's like, yeah, you've never. Because you, you don't have that frame of reference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's totally fine that they don't. But you know, but it's it's just one of those things like. Of course, you think it's great because you don't have nothing. Like most of my complaints, is something that you 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 don't know. So it's we're both right in a sense, right? I'll be honest. This entire situation is like the entire reason why why I feel uncomfortable writing a Final Fantasy fourteen review right now for Shadowbringers because I didn't really play the game until Shadowbringers, so it doesn't feel like I have enough of that context and. Kind of like a similar deal here. It's like if I were asked to review Disgaea 6, I'd just like, no, I, I haven't played the rest of them. So I just wouldn't be able to like make a legitimate argument still, for how it's changed because I just wouldn't know. I think it's important that you have people that might have never played a game this series to like have a review or that do their opinion. So then you can compare it to people that actually have played other games in the series so you can sort of see like what's what other things they pick up on or you know what one's more relevant to you because if you're a new person you probably don't care about what's changed like you know sometimes you listen to someone's de- like impressions of say like a, a sequel and they're talking about stuff that you already know because it's from the previous <laughs> thing because that person well, doesn't know uh, about it a similar example on my personal experience is reviewing the final fantasy 7 remake and i had played the original final fantasy 7 like the month before like in preparation so i had like a, a fresh mind there so i yeah. really went in on like I really feel like they did wall market justice, or I feel like the stuff that they added in the late game uh, with regarding Leslie and some other characters didn't land that well, or whatever. But other people who don't have that frame of reference, they're not they're not looking at it as like how does this compare to what was before. They're looking at it more more purely, more holistically. Or even if you're just doing like an entry in a series, assuming the series is not like Kaseki, where you where you expected to have played all of them, but like if you're playing a game and you're comparing it to past releases, you. you it seems like it's common practice. You don't want to just state blankly, this is a review for people that are new or for people that are veterans, but well, you, you kind of have to tip your hat a little say bit to your say position. like, yeah. yeah, where it's like, I am new to this series or this, maybe this franchise, and I am giving a, a, what a perspective that would be most suited for a newcomer or most suited for a veteran. Uh, actually, so, in your example of Final Fantasy VII Remake, we actually did end up having George kind of write his own... We didn't call it the review. It wasn't the scored review, but he wrote, like, here's how I feel about the game from a newcomer's perspective. I've never played the original Final Fantasy VII because we understood that, you know, 
there are going to be people like him in that position, just wanting to play the game, and they they're, they're coming in fresh. So it's a worthwhile viewpoint. I had one game that I like from from a series that I scored pretty highly, and then I've gone back and played other games. And I'm like, oh no, these ones are better. <laughs> yeah, oh, darn, I haven't given myself much room to work here. Oh, yeah, really good series. What series was it? Uh, Shantae. Oh, okay. Because yeah. I I really liked the newest one, and then and then I played some older ones. Now I'm like, oh, <laughs> oops, turn. Like when you go back and play parts first, it's like, oh no. Oh no! Yeah, I haven't finished that one, but I was like, "Oh, I really like some of the stuff in that." Do you have any other like closing thoughts on Disgaea? It's been really cool to have you on because we've talked about Disgaea a few times leading up to its release and after, but never with any like actual perspective. It's always been just like by proxy. Like this is what this is what our review said. This is what it seems to look like, but we we hadn't obviously gone hands on. Um. Uh, yeah, it just depends on the perspective because, like, I saw someone else's review where they scored it higher, but then they said I didn't have any fun playing this game, and I'm like, what? <laughs> well, like, yeah, the, the... I enjoyed this game. It was just like it was just things that it felt like it should have had, and then Water Battle had an interesting system, but then it also seemed like they should have at least waited till you'd beaten some more levels before giving it to you. <laughs> are you are you saying that the review score at the end doesn't really give a very good picture of an opinion? It does if you read the rest of the review. Oh, and there then you I go. Guess, read you know. reviews? <laughs> First biography, now reading. I don't know. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> I know. I saw something right. on Twitter where it was like, they're, they're like, I feel like the person, they're talking about like they changed the 3D. I'm like, oh, I feel like this reviewer just gave their judgment early and I didn't say anything, but I'm like, I feel like this person didn't actually read the review and just looked at the little pictures. <laughs> I only read the captions. Yeah. I only I only read the Instagram card that yeah. like summarizes it into like a hundred characters. Yeah. Yeah, but no, thanks for being on. Thanks for sharing your opinion. Uh we do obviously have the written review up on the site mm-hmm. uh from last week. So go ahead and give that a rundown. I'm looking at what other people have played this week, and uh, some of it's under embargo. Some of it is mysterious. Uh, so, like, who do I jump over to here? We can give uh, we can give Josh another chance to talk about Guilty Gear. I mean, this is a Guilty Gear podcast now. I, uh, look, I couldn't really talk about it that much last week because we had a lot of news and a lot of games to get to. So I'm like, okay, well, I won't really talk about it that much. I mean, Chow and I have played a good bunch of it. Uh, we played put hours and hours into it. But like I, I mentioned earlier, my third eye has awakened because I have I, I went through the process of watching all the fantastic Guilty, Guilty Gear story lore recap videos that uh, the YouTuber Wooly Versus did. Uh, it's like a seven part series that like is like four hours overall of all the past games before Strive. And then I went into the like I played through the Exerd Sign Exerd Revelator stories. But like I needed like those were the most dense that I like, kind of have foggy memory of. But then like the all the ones before that were so um, they were like obviously bare bones like fighting game like not bare bones but in terms of like story wise they were bare bones because they were like arcade fighting games uh, of like you know the original Guilty Gear um, Accent Core and all those other re releases and then you had the weird not fighting game called Guilty Gear Two Overture that was like for the Xbox Three Sixty that was more like a MOBA. And then, like, it, but all that had like critical information, story information going to exert and whatnot. So it's it, Guilty Gear is an insane story, but I went into Strive. Right. Yep. I, I went into Guilty Gear Strive 
knowing like I having a good handle of like Guilty Gear lore and story and like like I'd say ninety two percent of it made sense. I was like, oh my god, everything makes sense. You know, as I was going into it, I was like, this. Wow, that's pretty hard to imagine. I look, I I know who the original is. I know what the universal will is. I know what Eno did at the opening cutscene when he uh, when she went to Ariel's uh, prison hold. It's I was like, whoa! And then like the the ending they. Uh, the the ending they gave to Soul Bad Guy at the end of Strive, I'm like, I really wonder what they're gonna do for the next Guilty Gear if it's gonna be like this. No spoilers, but I'm just like the state of things in Strive is just like where they leave it off. It makes me really interested, and they have like this uh, more story mode uh, content like at the at, at part of their DLC roadmap. So like there's like there's this uh when they unveiled their roadmap it's like okay and these like first two months we'll have a new character and then down there we'll have three new characters or three characters and then store another story and whatnot and people are like i want i want the characters and like now i'm just like i want the story being that idiot you know who wants to get dlc for this for more story but um it's if guilty or strive story mode was like it was pretty cool because unlike exert sign exert revelator the the entries that came before strive like the interactions are actual cutscenes there's no visual novel dialogue i kind of briefly mentioned it last podcast but it's like it it feels feels like a full-on action hollywood movie like i really wonder whoever did like the cutscene direction or the writing or whatever i wonder if what were the last five movies they watched i wonder if three of those five movies was like a diehard um independence day and the furious and a fast (laughs) of the furious yeah the whole series yeah and uh and the dark knight you know it, it feels like elements of like just big blockbuster like action hollywood moments was like in that story mode like th- there was even a sequence where like soul bad guy was like it was basically a metal gear solid like story for a, a big chunk of it i was like i'm like what the fuck is happening <laughs> i mean i understand but why did they do it like this? And it's kind of rad they did it like this. So I how long, I, how long did it take you? Um, that story mode was like about four to five hours, I want to say. So well, that seems pretty good for fighting. Yeah, game. yeah. That's a, I'm talking pretty... out of my ass. I have no idea if that's good, but like, well, that's, that's well I, I would expect it to be much longer. I don't know. I think right. The longest story mode I probably played. It's probably um, was it Blast Blue? Um... Well, that's because the Blaze Blue storylines are literally <laughs> visual novels. I know, and the uh, content of Shift also had like multiple endings for some of the characters. So you'd be like, "Oh yeah, I gotta replay this character again and again to get to all the yeah." Remember, right? Remember, Chow, before Chrono Phantasma, where you had to literally like find the true end flags in each of the characters' routes in order to unlock the story that actually made sense. Yeah, I also I like got some bad ends in like some of the routes because you didn't know what the hell you were doing wrong. I'm like, I'm playing Subaki's route, and I keep getting her bad end because I keep using her super, and apparently that's part of the lore. You know, you keep using her super, you know, that's gonna screw her up. Yeah, like yeah, the calamity triggers like story mode was uh, crazy. Like for its time, it's like it's it's funny because Guilty Gear did a similar thing, not not to like that scope, but they did a similar thing with Accent Core story mode, where like the arcade mode in uh, Guilty Gear Accent Core was basically all the alternate timelines that Eno like phased into to observe that timeline, and that's how you get like those events because those were part of like the timelines that Eno. Um, 
jump to. So, you know, we sound like crazy people. I understand that. But I assure you, it's not us being crazy. It's Arxis. It's uh, our Lord and God and Savior, Daisuke Ishibatari and uh, and Mori for the Blaze Blue side. Um, I also uh, like the idea of like the different timelines. That, that's how they use like dead characters in fighting games. They don't want to be like, oh, yeah, this character is dead in this story, so we can't use them in the fighting game anymore. So it's an excuse to bring them back to be playable or something. Yeah. Uh, Doesn't uh, Mortal Kombat just make them zombies now? <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, Mortal Kombat 11 story was like <laughs> like even weirder, right? Because you had like um, the the core cast of Mortal Kombat like go shift into like I think it was either an earlier timeline or another timeline where they like met like earlier iterations of themselves, like Johnny Cage, you know, um, like his current iteration is like a, like kind of more mellow compared to his younger Hollywood actor self and how they would interact i don't know fighting game stories are fucking weird but i'm completely I, out of my element here but i'm like remember the subspace emissary remember when nintendo like pumped <laughs> insane amount of money into like <laughs> these cg cutscenes mm-hmm. and like a story mode that no one liked or very few people what? liked and no one talks about it? You liked it? Oh, never mind. I, I, i'm sorry but the subspace emissary was the good part of brawl yeah oh i, I had to okay never mind it's true yeah, I told yeah. you I was out of my element. I, I just remember, <laughs> like, like you're talking about, you're, you're talking about, like, fighting game stories, whether or not you consider Melee or Smash Bros. a fighting game, whatever. But I was just like, man, that was a lot of, like, at the time, really, actually, probably still now, really decent looking cutscenes. Like, I don't know who they, like, farmed those out to, like, whatever, like, whatever outsourcing they did to do those. Oh, or maybe they did them internally. I'd like to know, like, how that came together, because that was such a weird thing at the time but it's i'm reaching back to my like that again like even <laughs> ultimate story, story mode isn't like that it was cool but mm. it's no nowhere near that um yeah. I, I will say for the like i don't know if the if, the, if all the leak characters are true for the, the leak dlc characters of stride but i definitely want i definitely want asuka to one of them uh, formerly known as that man that that's uh capital t capital m on that man so i, I want him to be a dlc character because i'll probably use this tome uh, as a weapon, um, I want um, Gold Lewis Dickinson to be a, a, a DLC character. He's a, one of the new characters that only shows up in story mode uh, for that game so far. He is a, a really big, huge American that has like sunglasses, but only has one frame on those sunglasses with like a, a, a lipstick kiss on on that lens. And he attacks. He literally attacks with a, a chain coffin, kind of like Gungrave style. But it's, it, but that coffin, uh, uh, it contains an Area Fifty One alien in it, and that's it's what he absolutely imperative hey. that if he gets in the game, one of his supers has to be the alien coming to life and just like dealing damage. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was, I was talking to um, so a VTuber I really like was talking like she she really wants that character. To be playable, mm-hmm. and also I'm like, oh, maybe he'd be like, like have the coffin, so like a puppet type character or something. She's like, oh no, I don't want that. <laughs> I'm wondering. I don't uh, want Carl. Yeah. Um. Have they? They haven't announced who the Guilty Gear character for Sam show is going to be yet, have they? Not yet. No. I, I, the speculation uh, says Biken, but uh, it's like, that's... are they? Are they going to just do that because that's the best fit, or they're going to pick one that's in? Strife. They would also want Biken just because everyone likes Biken. Yeah, I, I, I would hope it's Biken because that's just a natural fit. But also, I wish Samurai Showdown had rollback netcode too because that's actually a really fun game that just has really bad netcode. But um, yeah, that's... Go for it. 
So I live in Australia. Everything's bad net code. <laughs> Although Strive's actually pretty good. So. Yeah, yeah, Strive can actually, Whoa. like, uh, like, yeah, Strive actually has pretty good netcode. It's, um, it's like, I'm not playing an effects machine. It's like, oh. As long as, long as you're land up, you're, you're, you're good to go, you know. Um, this, yeah. this doesn't land quite as strong without George here. Yeah. As long as you land up, George. <laughs> Or George, even if he's not on the podcast. But yeah, that's my my uh, guilty gear. A minute, I've been, you know, I haven't been able to actually play that much because I was watching story mode the past few days <laughs> on it, which is weird. But I've been watching, you know, some tournaments here and there, coming back, and the, the level of play is only getting higher and higher. I'm just like, like I've been uh, like the first time I fi- I faced Chow, like he barely like you know knew how to play the game, and I faced him again a few days ago. He got a lot better. I had to like make like severe adjustments to my gameplay against Chow uh, on his May because May's a kid. I, I hate that character. But I'm getting a lot <laughs> of I'm getting enough enjoyment. I'm getting enough enjoyment just from the uh, periphery, just enjoying the May memes. My well, favorite game is all fair was... game as long as you get victory. My favorite yeah. so far is like that crow meme from like the Dark Souls, where it's like get better material. And now it was like May going like Tutsugeki, like boo, <laughs> get better material. And then looking at the cards, and it's all just dolphins. Yeah. If you know, you know. Sorry, if you don't know, sorry if that was a bit, bunk uh, with Anko. Of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, other than Guilty Gear, uh, I've been uh, dipping a, l- a little bit more. Spent a, a few more hours, about maybe six to seven hours into legend of mana now um the with the remaster um the the performance of pc has i don't know if it's gotten better or um i've gotten used to it but battles are okay ish now um as the the more i get into it it's hard to like describe where i am in the game because of how that uh game is structured Uh, i guess the most recent event i did in it was part of the jumi arc which is uh basically how the game is structured is you pick a landmass to, uh, to put your home in, and then you make new landmasses throughout the map, the region that you select at the very beginning of the game with artifacts that you receive uh, when you uh, do events or like side quests in the game. And then <laughs> that, that's how you, you kind of just organically or with a guide like encounter new storylines that you see throughout, and you might get an award enough artifact. And then you kind of just like see like these short stories. And some of these short stories link up in Legend of Mana, and they're like "quote unquote" the arcs of the game, like the main storylines, essentially. And the, the most recent one I did was I went through this like big crystal tower. Um, I forgot the name of the character that I was with, but that's like this woman who's trying to confront her Pearl. past. Pearl, yes, thank you. And then um, it's it's still uh, like a pretty good game, you know. Like uh, it's still the Legend of Mana that I remember. Um, and it's just kind of neat seeing everything look very prettified with this AI upscale backgrounds. Um, it it I every time I hear uh, one of the a, a new track in the game or a new newly rearranged track in that game, I'm just like, wow, they really did this super well. Like the when there's like a farming aspect to the game that you can unlock. The BGM for that is or the rearrange for that is really good. The blacksmithing forge uh, BGM. Also, really awesome. Those are the ones that really stick out to me. Kind of like the lo- more the low key ones, uh, the low, more slowly paced ones are the ones that like stick out in my mind. Though the boss encounter ones, uh, rearranged theme is pretty good too. I think you did. You finish it, Adam? I think you did. Yeah, I did. 
So well, um, for people who aren't like familiar with Mana, Legend of Mana has always been kind of an interesting title. You may not know this unless you live in Japan, but like the Mana series does have like a mainline with numbers in the, from their Japanese titles, like Seiken Setsu 2 or Seiken Setsu 3. Uh, Mana is actually not like a numbered title. It's a spinoff. And thus it is a bit different than the rest in terms of like its structure and its style. However, it is, there's, there's a little bit of, you know, division on how well received the game is, but people can pretty much, besides like the Trials of Mana remake last year, Legend of Mana was kind of widely believed to be the last, at least decent Mana game. There hasn't really been a good one since, besides the Trials of Mana remake. Um, but regardless, its structure, its style, and its like music and its art are definitely its high points. The combat, oddly enough, is actually like the one part of the game I feel like this is just it's there. <laughs> it's there. Like it, 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 there are some like quote unquote deeper systems with it, but it's not the star of the game. You're you're not really playing the game for the, like the gameplay aspect. You're just kind of to almost live in the atmosphere of it, kind of enjoy yeah. like the simple yeah. going. Have either of you tried the co-op? Because it's like I think part of why I bought it and I haven't played it yet, but like it was because I saw that it was actually uh, two players, and I was like, "What?" I haven't tried the co-op yet. I, I, okay. I, yeah, but I that is definitely a big like allure of the game because you know less and less RPGs these days like allow for local co-op. Tales of Arise doesn't have local co-op anymore, so Tales of at the moment is out. Um, but yeah, that. This is a game that would make sense for co-op because it's not like crazy involved from both players. It's kind of like, hey, you want to hop in and like kind of explore around with me? Yeah, it's like, yeah. Cool. We'll do it. Now that sounds like my mate, my player too wouldn't want to because anything that's too slow paced makes them sleepy. So <laughs> I just be by myself <laughs> instead. Um, I think what's also interesting about like this and like Saga Frontier Remastered and probably something else like. Those like PlayStation One games didn't come out in the Power Region, so these remasters or ports are the first time they've actually been available to Europeans and Australians. Wow, you yeah, got well, Breath of Fire, do you? I don't hmm? know the list of what we. Got. I was gonna yeah, say, I don't uh, know. do you I get Breath of Fire in, in the Power Region? I remember that was one of the more popular RPGs because it was actually released in the Power Region. Hmm. They did. Remember Breath of Fire? Yeah. Capcom remembers Breath of Fire, but barely remembers it. They, they mention it in like their like franchise list, and that's about it. No, Breath, of Fire, got new, Breath of Fire got new art recently with Teppen, dude. Oh, yeah, for Teppen. <laughs> Hell yeah. Does that mean a reboot for the franchise is coming? <laughs> yeah, just like Darkstalkers, because Darkstalkers is Teppen. So surely a reboot, right? I also remember like one of the like Street Fighter characters got a... Uh, it's a Fire 2 costume. I forget which one, but... Oh, I thought... Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh my god, man, Capcom really, really, they really know where it hurts. Okay, they'll just bring back, bring back like a Breath of Fire cameo every two years, and that's enough. That's all we'll get. I mean, yeah, remember that when they they first unveiled, like, oh, we're gonna bring the Breath of Fire uh, soundtracks to Steam. It's like, does that Capcom, Capcom, does that mean you're gonna do it? No, just the music. I mean, we we know people like the music, not the games, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's what i've been playing I, other than that you know i've I've also spent you know more time get really getting into ratchet and, uh, and clank rift apart 
uh have put a lot of hours, not a lot of hours into it but i think i'm near the end i'm like about to infiltrate this pirate base with ratchet um i have no idea if that's close to the end or not it feels like it's like starting to wrap up a little bit with what's going on in the story it's still super fun leveling up all the weapons and kind of tinkering with the rpg light aspects of it of upgrading them as they're leveling up um but yeah uh, other than that that's what i've been playing at I think my next big game is like Monster Hunter Stories 2 next Friday. I'm yeah. very, very, yeah, very excited, very interested to see how that one is going to go. Look it forward to my review so it must next be. week. Well, it has gun lance, so it must be 10 out of 10, right? Yep. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I, I was going to hand it over to uh, James, but if you like read between the lines, obviously we talked about his preview video uh, last week. It's about to come out, you know, come release. So pretty clearly what he's been playing, doubt he can talk about it much. So that leaves uh, me, I suppose. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Oh, so yeah. uh, I don't really I don't really have much like I'm talking. I'm going to talk about Scarlet Nexus a little bit, but I do know that we we went at length like 40 minutes last week talking about it. And I don't want to just like retread like, yeah, I agree with all the things you said or disagree with all the things you said. Uh, so I'm going to try to contribute like a different perspective. Yeah, I, guess. I, don't, yeah, I don't know uh, what you think about it. So I, I kind of like this game I really wasn't interested in, but after hearing you guys talk about it, after seeing some decent positive word of mouth, just even though it didn't like score stupendously, it seems like it feels like it feels like it's got like this endearing story behind it or like it's it, it, it there's a lot of people rooting for it. I, I, I get I get the feeling for it's a new IP. It's an interesting uh, set of ideas. Um, so I'm almost all the way through my first playthrough where I picked Kasane's story first. And I picked it first based on some of the discussion last week where it kind of establishes kind of like the premise and the world building a little bit better, supposedly, than Yuito, uh, which leaves the player in the dark for longer. My main two takeaways are this is a rare game that I feel like really gets stronger and like not, not not only in terms of gameplay, but also in terms of story and characters. The more time you put into it, it really feels like it builds and builds and builds upon itself. Uh, I, I kind of cheekily wrote somewhere that it feels like the anti Tales of game. If you don't know what that means, like I feel like Tales of games often have this problem. I think it's most especially prevalent in like Abyss and Vesperia, where they they wrap up character arcs too quick, or they they resolve conflicts too fast, or they kind of like run out of steam on some of their they're theming where it ends up being like by the time you get to the end, all the interesting ideas have been exhausted and you're just kind of being strung along because you haven't reached the credits yet. And, and I feel like that's happened in a few different places where here, I feel like they allow the different. Uh, so there's, there's basically 10 playable characters. You only play as two characters, but then a total, a total group, the, the total cast of people who interact in combat are 10. Um, and those are the people you have the Bond episodes with or you have the, the story cutscenes with. And it smartly like keeps it paced deliberately enough where it's not like each episode, like this is the Hanabi-focused part of the game or this is the Arashi-focused part of the game. Like It allows it to like string through the story where it carries forward where nothing... you. you you're still learning things about individuals, about the premise, about the story, about the lore. Even I'm in like phase 11 of, I think, 12, where it doesn't feel like there's any part that's already been like, we're done. There's, that's a closed book. It's behind us. We're, we're on to something different now. Like it, it actually feels like smartly constructed in terms of having 
past events remain relevant and past characterizations and character development remain relevant as you it doesn't feel like i I get what you mean um where some video games where like if you have like a cast of seven characters or whatever it's like each chapter in sequence is like each character's story and it just kind of feels kind of like robotic and not right like oh now you go to character x's hometown and you learn about their history and by the end of that chapter you fight a boss and then that character is on the back burner for the rest of the game and they're just kind of like hanging out because they're a party member in an rpg and that's what they do yeah nexus does not do that the the, the first thing that pops into my mind whenever we get into like the similar type of discussions like i always think about yukiko in persona 4 where she unfortunately like they, they wrap up her character arc very early in persona 4 and then she's just kind of there for the rest of the game a- after that and yeah that, she basically um, just serves as a fo- uh, as a foiled chie in terms of like personality and that's kind of what she does the rest of the game um yeah. and then also speaking of the characters there's one thing that i'm glad Bandit Namco didn't do is that they could have so easily. So each character in Scarlet Nexus has a bespoke power, like teleportation, ice power, thunder power, psychokinesis, whatever. And they could have easily made all of these characters like one note. Oh, this character's electric power. They're going to use a bunch of electric puns and you know, or or whatever. Like make them like their defining character trait is that they do this one thing. Uh, but they don't really do that. Each character, like they're a lot less one note than I was expecting. And and I think a lot of the bonding events that they do, I know Cullen, when he wrote his review, wasn't really that high on them. But I as I get like later into the game and I get into like bonding events two, three, four for each character, I think a lot of them are actually kind of like really well done. And for some reason, since I wasn't expecting that going in, I'm like, nah, I, I that can't be right. Maybe I'm just enjoying something that's actually not that good. But then like I keep like trying to like convince myself that it's not as good as it is. And I'm just like, no, actually I'm really kind of enjoying these. One of my favorites is one of the, some of the early bonding events with uh, what's the clairvoyance girl's name? Sugami? Yeah. Um, she's actually like one of my favorite characters. Overall, she's awesome. Like, so exceptionally. so yeah. one of her early, so I haven't, I haven't spent a lot of time with her because I'm playing the route where she's not a primary character. She's a, she's in the other half. Uh, but you still do the bonding events uh, from some perspective. And early on, she has basically a, a major character dies i know it's, that's a very vague spoiler but there is death in this game there are consequences and she's dealing with grief and what she ends up doing is she kind of continues a conversation that she could no longer finish with this character with another and then she catches herself and says sorry i'm blabbering i don't know what came over me because she just wanted the opportunity to have that closure and I thought, man, that's a really interesting way to like show grief. And it's poignant. It's not, it's subtle. It's not just like crying or screaming at the death, like that you see sometimes. It, it, I was like, man, like that is, I don't know. So I actually felt like I could see where that person's coming from. And obviously in our own lives, we all deal with different levels and types of grief. And like, I could see that being like an outlet for someone. Some of the other characters like, like Gemma, like it really, it really, he's like the veteran of the group and he, and he really struggles with this is the life that I've known. I don't know what I would do like once I retire or once I can I do anything else. And like his bonding events carry through that train of thought. So this is a very silly comparison. But I remember a few years ago, I don't really watch a lot of anime, but I was watching a little bit of Black Clover. And in that game, it's a very similar in that game show series. Uh, it's very similar where these different characters have like various bespoke types of powers, right? Uh, it's magic in that case. But like all these characters are like one note, like singular character traits with feet, basically. And they like don't Not do basically. anything else. 
they just like have their one thing that they, they have their one catchphrase or the one thing that they always talk about. And this game could have so easily been that, but it's not, which is why I think it, it really surprised me in a positive way. Yeah, that's a that's a really like cool perspective to like uh, to take up on because like I, I I've kind of with you where like I thought a lot of like the like the first maybe one or two bonding events like they're like kind of like oh man is it gonna be like this but like you said they're like later bond events for for a good chunk of them for me like they really worked well like uh, I was like uh, by the time I finished the game I remember remarking on this I was like they really they really earned my respect for like this this whole cast uh when once everything is said and done and i think a good chunk is because of those those later bond events and as you said as you said like they just there there's a there's a dimensionality of them that you don't really quite see in like what people would consider quote-unquote anime games like you don't really see this kind of like you know um there's like nuance to that development yeah yeah that's uh the only the only downside I'll say is that because of the size of the cast and because of the way the game is formatted, at the end of the game, bonding events are a bit backloaded. So at the end, if you want to see them all, it ends up being like you you'll see like six back to back. And right. individually they tend to be still good. It's just it kind of actually reminded me of like Fire Emblem Three Houses, where it's like, oh, I'm back at the monastery, I gotta do all this stuff. It's like, no, I'm back at the hideout, gotta do all this stuff. And it's like if they had more evenly fleshed it out or maybe even s- split it where you only saw like the, the two routes, like only saw the bonding events for the characters in that route. Um, maybe that wouldn't be so good because then you wouldn't get the different perspectives of the different protagonists. But just if there was some way they addressed it where it wasn't quite so backloaded. They just kind of dump like a lot at you all at once. So, so is it kind of like Atelier games where you like walk in from one cutscene to the next one or? No, it's literally like you go to your hideout and like when you're at the hideout, all the NPCs are just, you know, hanging out there doing different things. And you just like, oh, six, six of the people now have different bonding events. So you kind of just like go down on like a list, like, all right, time to do Sagumis. All right. That was pretty good. Time to do Gemmas. All right. Time to do Yuitos or whatever. Yeah, Um, it's it's I imagine it's one of those things. It must have been really hard. To like discuss this behind the scenes, like for for like you know in the um, like development meetings for this game, it's like they had like you can see the ambition behind this game, but you can clearly see that like they had to compromise on like a lot of things around the edges that you know would have like made the game stick out even more if they were allowed that time or that money or, or whatnot. It's just it's cool that it's still in there, and sure it could have been done like better, but. It, Picking games is hard, I imagine, especially this kind of game where like you have like so many bubbling ideas. You can you can feel it bursting at the seams, and it's like hopefully like this this does well enough to like get a, get a sequel. I'm really really hoping it does. I it, it I don't want to be pessimistic about like it's it's been barely a week since it came out um, and whatnot. But it, right now, it just when you see like the Famitsu physical sales right. numbers and like you see the overall lifetime. Um, peak of like the steam players and whatnot who are uh playing it there and then who knows how much it, it's all digitally across the platforms or and whatnot it's just like everything uh, all those numbers are pointing to it's selling less than code vein i'm like to me that's like a big bummer <laughs> it's like yeah it's so, uh, to, to me it's like this is so much of a better game than code vein fuck i do want i know i don't i know i said i wouldn't go at length i do also just want to touch very quickly on the gameplay uh it takes a while to get going, but I kind of realized when I was going through like some of the la- the larger dungeons and like 
stages nine and ten or phases nine and ten when you actually give them access to more of the powers more of the ally abilities i was starting to like recognize patterns in my head where it's like oh it's this enemy i know that this tactic works i'll switch and activate hypervelocity and electrokinesis oh it's this enemy i know that invisibility works really well and i would like toggle that that ally in and it ends up being like this really big juggling act where it's like if you don't know what you're doing all you if you're like if you're watching gameplay from a like a fresh perspective you see all these characters like flashing in on the screen and it might not make much sense uh or just it might just seem like really chaotic i actually realized man these systems are actually working pretty damn well together i'm gonna i'm about to do a bunch of psychokinesis attacks so i better uh get kyoka to ally with me because that makes that way more effective or whatever so i do think that uh well i do feel like the gameplay would feel a little bit better if it had like a block or maybe like invisibility frames on or invincibility of frames on dodges or something like there's some there's some ways that i still feel like it feels a little bit clunky but by the end like all the systems where you're where you're invoking like the different powers and the different allies and the way that they can assist it ends up feeling like really comprehensive at the end and like it's not like a lock and key where it's you must do x to defeat this enemy this enemy is only weak to electric it's like no there's just strategies that work like you can do you can use this combination of powers or this combination of powers uh, it kind of depends on how much psychokinesis power you have, whether your brain drive's ready or whatever. And I know I'm using a lot of like jargon from the game here, but I, I really am jiving with the combat system, especially in the back half of the game once it really like has a bunch of the systems available to you. So I'm planning to uh, to complete that this weekend. I'll probably move right on into the other route just because I do want to see like the the, the different events and the different. How the, how the plot progresses from the other perspective and there are there are yeah. deliberate ways where it keeps you in the dark from this is a general other. very broad kind of observation i got i've kind of noticed that like no matter which character people decided to play as almost it feels like almost everyone feels like they missed something so they kind of have to go to the other route because <laughs> that's just... i think to some extent that's kind of smart because otherwise it feels like there's right. a redundancy where it's just like, like you want to play as a boy or a yeah. girl it's like no it's not what this is these are two different characters with two different histories and two different perspectives, it is, and they see also, different events. It is also really interesting to see that the anime is sort of like a third route as well, because the the anime actually like sheds light on details that you don't see in both routes in the in the games. Like, for example, in the first episode, uh, Yuito and Nagi are talking, and then Yuito mentions like that's not the first time that he's seen uh, Naomi and Kasane. Uh, he actually like saw them like at a banquet at a much earlier age. You know, and it's like, oh, interesting. Like this is like this is not the first time that he's actually seen these people in his life. He's actually like seen them in person, maybe not know them, but like he's definitely seen them before and whatnot. And it's kind of and the, the the anime probably for the sake of pacing, like kind of restructures like the the very beginning of the game, where in the sense like the core events are the same, where the others are still uh, um, attacking a city, but it's not like the Yuito and Nagi first visit the shrine and then uh the city comes under attack it's like they actually form the the team first and like get introductions first and then like the the others attack and that's like an assignment for them not uh an ongoing yeah, that like, makes sense. not like an ambush um condense it a little bit yeah so i'm really interested to see like if there are aspects of the anime that they will canonize like you know if like this is a an ip that they decide to move forward with And now that we're at the one hour mark, I think we've gone through everyone. We didn't really give James uh, much of an opening here. Is there anything that you're free to talk about? Or no, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> crickets. Uh, I'm right. I'm very excited to hear from James next week, though. 
So we don't really have any feature callouts specifically for this week. We did have a lot of reviews go up last week, a lot of features uh, in terms of some of the Pixel Remaster stuff, uh, which we will also readdress this week. A couple of the reviews. We already talked about Disguise 6. Obviously, um, we had Jess give the uh, World's End Club review. Uh, and what other features did we have? We had the Saga interview from a few weeks back, which is still a really interesting read if you haven't gotten around to it. In terms of on the news front this week, it actually is a bit more like back to normal. Like we don't have a giant mountain of topics to try to sort through. Uh, so let's just go through them. Shortly after we recorded the last podcast, we had a, for us in the North America anyways, a very late in the night event uh, involving the Mana series 30th anniversary live stream. So I remember we were sitting in chat and I was like, man, this is going to be like 5 a.m. for us. uh, Do we stay up for this? And I think, Adam, you ended up staying up for this. James and I did. Okay. I was there too. I I, I stayed up too, but I I passed out around 5 (laughs) a.m. You you, you just conked out as soon as they got started. I was like, I get to be comfy and get get a normal person's sleep. (laughs) (laughs) we We all know how that feels, right? So we went into this event, like not with any clear expectation on what to expect. It was just kind of like we should expect something. Uh, obviously, it's the 30th anniversary. Obviously, it's a series uh, that at one point was kind of a tentpole uh, for Square Enix or for Squaresoft. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't know like what, what, what that came out of this we should talk about first. The, uh, the biggest news was something they left for the very end only as a very general statement that they are currently in development on a new console entry in the Mana series. However, that's all we got from that. So uh, the the translated statement, uh, who gave the statement at the very end? I'm reading, I don't, Uh, we don't have this. uh, Masaru Oyamaida. Oyamaida, series producer, I think. Okay. So at the very end, he stated, it would have been nice if we could make a cool video announcement with a bang, uh, but the 30th anniversary has just begun, so we might hear more. We are developing it. We are working on it. Please wait a little longer. In fact, we've shown Mr. Ishii, who was uh, the creator of the Mana series, current CEO of Grezzo, even took a look at this new Mana game that's in development, but it's not ready to be shown. So I think this is what people were like, were really hoping for. This would be like the best possible scenario would be to see a big new Mana game in development, but... All we got was just kind of confirmation that it is in development. That's so. fine, you know. Uh, that's good that it's like the, the confirmation that it exists. Um, at least you know it keeps that hope alive. You know that we know it's a it's a real thing now. I I hope it's I hope they just take really great lessons from like you know the good Mana games because obviously <laughs> obviously the the last new one was it like Rise of Mana um, kind of left the series out of the cold after that entry. Um, but I, I don't know what I would expect if, uh, from a new Mana series. Like, are they actually gonna like title it Seiken Detsetsu Four? I guess is my no. Seiken Detsetsu Four already exists. Was that was that was that Don? Yeah, okay, that was Don. Yeah, and Don sucks. Yeah, Don sucks, dude. Um, <laughs> I forgot that was uh, that was considered the fourth entry. Yep. Fuck. Um, so this would be the fifth. five. Yeah. Yep. So a couple yeah. other footnotes <laughs> that did come out of this, and this was actually announced ahead of time. Uh or like earlier in the presentation, uh, the Trials of Mana remake, which we thought, you know, was a pretty darn faithful 
you know, remaster slash remake of Second Desert 3 is heading to Google Play and iOS. So it, it is getting a mobile version, which is kind of like gee whiz, that's swell, I suppose. It's always nice to have that on more platforms. They did oh, also yeah. announce a free-to-play mobile game called Echoes of Mana. So uh, this is kind of everything you might expect <laughs> from that sort of announcement, okay. where it is, uh, you know... Uh, All-Stars got, Mana. Yeah, like it's got, uh, it's got characters from Adventures of Mana, Secrets of Mana, Trials of Mana, and Dawn of Mana. Uh, it will be coming to mobile 2022 worldwide. Now, maybe maybe Josh has a little bit more of the context here, but didn't they already have a Mana mobile game? Didn't that already uh, exist? In a browser no, game. Uh, oh, a browser a game. Of one in for mobile. One. Oh yeah. They, oh yeah, that's right. I forgot they did that. Adventures of Mana, which is a remake of Final Fantasy Adventure, which is the first Mana game, was on yeah. mobile initially. Yeah, yeah the only, they never got that remake though. The, the only. Yeah, the only like recent Mana developments on the mobile end is like like if it's like collaboration events. Like I know. Um, what was the last game? Claudia? Was it lastly? I lo- like, yeah, last Claudia had got like a second Detsetsu 2 collab, like, and then some other probably mobile games had the second Detsetsu 3 collab as well. So, I mean, they're, it's, they're more prevalent as collabs more so than actual mobile games. Are you gonna give it a shot, Chow? Are you gonna check out this? Uh, no, uh, what? <laughs> Whoa, what? Oh, I just shot that out quick. I have too many. Gotcha games on my plate. I am trying uh, to get the champion tier in Epic Seven in my uh-huh. real time arena, uh-huh. and there's other the things I need to go on. Go on page. But, but don't you need to pull a five star shower? Oh, sorry, mm. something fell off. Sorry. <laughs> but no, I'm like, uh, I don't think I I will give it a shot because there's just too many gotcha games on my plate. I mean, like, I played Epic Seven Grand Blue. Like okay, that that's good enough for me. I don't think. There's a, look. There's a lot of time for twenty twenty two. Okay, there, there's the, you can easily drop one of those games between now and when this comes out next year. It's like no. <laughs> I have two comments on this. Uh-huh. One, uh, so I recently interviewed the Saga Devs. We talked about that last week, and Brian mentioned it today. Um, and they, and this is pretty apparent to anyone who pays attention to this sort of stuff. But like that Saga mobile game, which is Romancing Saga Reuniverse, has done really well, um, and they admitted as much in my interview and elsewhere as well. And it seemed like that was sort of a catalyst, or at least one of several catalysts to kind of revive that series. Even if for now it's mostly just re-releases and remasters, they are they in a similar announcement. They also said they're making a new Saga game, but it seems like people, you know gamers who are like maybe not very familiar with these series they like check out this mobile game and they like it and obviously that gives square enix revenue but it also like generates interest in the series and in mm-hmm. that case it's been out for saga to like re-release games and even they just started production on a new one and it seems like they're kind of hoping echo zamana might have similar effect to just see if people like the mobile game get people interested in the series and then maybe if it even is just a similar, you know, fraction or whatever of success that the Saga game has been, maybe it might revitalize the Mana series in a similar way. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this a little bit with the um with Fire Emblem Heroes, where it's like that game like out earns every other Fire Emblem game, so it's a little bit of yeah. like a tail wagging the dog, and it also opens the door for uh now people are introduced to uh 
genealogy of the Holy War characters. So perfect opportunity to revive one exactly. of Chow's favorite games <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually looking over gameplay because they actually showed something really of, of this Echoes of Mana game, and it, it, it is it is a real time uh, action RPG game. It's not it's not like some other mobile game adaptations where they make it turn based like Disgaea or something. <laughs> so um, it it kind of it reminds me of like Legend of Mana battle system in terms of like the actual perspective. It's like a big wide open arena, but you're actually moving in a 2.5D space. Um, obviously, like the systems look more fleshed out than Legend of Mana, of course. Yeah, like uh, you can cast skills uh, with uh, mana. There's like actual like zone indicators of like when a, a, a big like boss attacks. Like you'll see like a, a red like flashing on the ground. It's like oh okay, that's like Trials of up. Mana. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh it's taking up that style. Um, it looks it looks cool. You know, I I might give it a shot. See how how long it goes, but you know, I don't know. I don't know. The other gotcha comment games. I wanted to make was um, they kind of pre-announced this new console mana game, right? right? And I just kind of wanted to note, it's been a long time since there's been a brand new original mana title. Um, especially if you're not counting uh, like browser games. It's, I think like the, the most recent original new mana title, most recent is like 2007 with Heroes of Mana, which is a DS like RTS game. I forgot that game. It's been like 14 years. So if this new mana title that they're making is original and not like something like a Legend of Mana remake or something like that, it's it'll to me the first time in quite a while that that game or that series has gotten something that's like really new. Like Trials of Mana, the remake was of course a pretty darn good remake, but it wasn't like totally original. New, new, yeah, right. So it had it had a basis. I really want to see like what a what a modern take on mana is like and what kind of modern systems you would see in it and what kind of what are the story and characters? How do you like there's there there's like the, the mana lore is so weird <laughs> at it's, this I, very I, loose. I the lore is pretty simple. I, it's, I, it, yeah. it's simple, but it's but it's loose. Like it, it's not like it's not like a clear cut like, oh, obviously this is the like it's not like a Final Fantasy template of like, oh, it has to have these are like the template uh Tentpole things that a mana game should have, you know, uh, unlike Final Fantasy, like it has to have chocobos, or it needs to have something about the crystal, or something about, you know, this or that. Like when you're going to a Final Fantasy game, you kind of know, like it better have like these Final Fantasy things, or else I won't like it. Meanwhile, I believe mana, actually, uh, one of the Japanese outlets did interview the producer Oyamida on the series, and one thing that he said that all mana games have to have love, Aww. someone petting the mana tree. <laughs> It can't be a meta yeah. game without someone cutting the tree. Can it? It has to be a tree. I mean, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Watch, there's going to be no tree in the next set. I'm like, I told you. I told you. <laughs> How can you have a mana game without the mana tree? It's like, it's just like cut. <laughs> yeah, it'll be like the mana river or the mana sun. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's just like a mana seed. It's like, there's no tree. There's only the seed left. It's the last mana seed ever. Actually, kind of like that premise. Yeah. Well, you should. They should hire you. Oh, okay. I'll, let me go sub oh, my resume. Get big spoilers <laughs> yeah, because certain characters on my resume. <laughs> no one steal this idea. I am copywriting it right here live. No, no, Josh. They ever done it? <laughs> Wait, what? What? Come on, you think about it. I mean, but it'll be like in big spoiler territory if I. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Moving on. The last thing that they announced uh, during the Mana 30th anniversary stream event was a new anime. So, The Legend of Mana, The Teardrop Crystal, was announced 
and we will release worldwide. There aren't too many details known outside of that. It's in production with Warner Bros. Japan, Graffinica, and Yokohama Animation Lab. Uh, based on the, the subtitle, based on the key art that they gave, it might follow uh, Legend of Mana's Jumi storyline, but that is just speculation. We don't yeah, know. If you play Legend when of Mana, the teardrop crystal means something. Yeah. So uh, it, it's also like it, 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 like based on that, it'd have to be that. That's like the logical conclusion, as well as <laughs> because if you try to do a Legend of Mana um, anime adaptation while like trying to cover all the events of Legend of Mana, then Godspeed and good luck. <laughs> but yeah, I cool. Why not? And so yeah, so some of the some of the studios that I listed off uh, worked on the opening movie of the remake. Uh, other details are still pretty sparse. We don't know when it's expected to air. Uh, the fact that it's a worldwide release was just a, a comment from Oyamata. So we don't know like what avenues or like platforms that'll be on, like who will carry it. So, but cool. Uh, it's also worth mentioning that this anime was actually like proposed to the Mana team before Legend of Mana, like the remake remaster was a thing. So they, I don't know how much of this is just like embellished or not, but it, like what he, how he, how he, des- how he describes it is that they were basically, you know, pitched, let's do a Legend of Mana anime. And he said, yes. And he's like, oh boy, now we actually should like re-release the game so people know what it's about. <laughs> um, so apparently the anime is how the game came about. Like when, because that was apparently conceived before the re-release was even considered. So, like again, that might be embellished a bit, but that's what they say. I guess before we uh we move on as well, just one final little thing that because I because this will be relevant in the next topic is they're gonna uh they're gonna release a Legend of Mana remaster update, which will uh, oh, yeah. implement the original font uh to that remaster this fall. <laughs> um, so you know, getting that original font uh, taking a lot of work. Fonts are going to be uh, the original font was like a hand drawn font and basically needs to oh, be okay. redone. That makes sense. Or, then. Or we're just squeezing the word font. I don't think the remaster font is terrible. Like it's not as bad as like the pixel remasters, <laughs> but it's it's still you know like it's different. It's not the same. So yeah. uh, you know there's going to be people that are like not as good. Is that font going like so they're doing it for both English as well or? I don't, I think they only confirmed that for Japanese, so it may yeah, not make it an English version. But have to deal with all the the books and mm-hmm. stuff. Speaking of fonts, right? Yeah. So, okay, so, so during the E3 week or the week after, when we already had a chance to talk about it, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about Square Enix's very odd showing during their presents stream, where one thing that was highly rumored going in was a remaster collection at the time, that's what we thought, of Final Fantasies 1 through 6. And it turns out, in many ways, that was true. Only we got, like, a 10 to 15 second, like, weird clip of the Final Fantasy Pixel Remaster series, where then Alex Donaldson and a few other uh, staff members really tried to, like, poke and prod and figure out what we could extract from very limited amount of data about what these Final Fantasy pixel remasters might look like. And then things became more intriguing when early upload or leaked upload of a more in-depth like interview session from Square Enix, uh, a bunch of Square Enix staff about the pixel remaster series. 
a bit of weird uh, rollout of data or info. <laughs> that they leaked and then they ended up putting up publicly but it's on like a timer like they're eventually going to take it down it's a 30 minute deep dive trailer which goes through like each game and gives us a lot more look at what the combat looks like what the what the sprites really look like outside well, actually, most of, of it is like a discussion with uh Sakaguchi right. and uh Umatsu. yeah yeah about the uh, about the original versions and the games and whatnot but yeah, it seemingly like went up early, and then they took it down, and then they reposted it. But but apparently, even now, it's like it's only going to be up for a limited time. It's like why? Yeah, well, you've heard of limited time demo. It's now get ready for limited time video. Yeah, <laughs> limited time trailers. Yeah. Uh, and before I get too deep into talking about what we saw here, we also learned uh, through some Steam store listings that the versions of Final Fantasies five and six that are on that storefront based on the mobile versions released in 2013-2014, will no longer be available for purchase at the end of the month, starting on July 27th. So they are shuffling away what the 3D remakes are of 3 and 4 and retitling those, those own, their own thing. They are delisting 5 and 6 to replace them with the Pixel remasters. The Pixel remasters will be sold individually, and the uh, the price point is not even across each game based on the store pages. Uh, I believe one and two are twelve bucks, but Final Fantasy three is eighteen. This is a uh, U.S. dollars, which seems arbitrary. But you might argue, well, this is the first time three is released in this format. We've only ever gotten the global three um, D remaster of it. Yeah. So on on uh, July twenty eighth, one, two, and three are coming out all all together. Not like in a bundle, but the one, two, and three are all coming out at the same time, and then. Subsequent months after uh, it, four, five, and six will be all released separately, not uh, not, well, uh, not all together. Four, the five, same and day. six, they haven't officially announced these dates. But if you look at their like Steam database pages, which are based on information given to Steam by Square Enix, they have dates, but they're not like official. Yeah, they're not and public. All, they they did they, 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 true. The the Steam the Steam did confirm that Final Final Fantasy four, five, and six are all eighteen dollars. It's actually up on Steam as well. For those, um, they, you can get the uh, all of the Pixel remasters uh, as a bundle uh, for uh, uh, right 75. now. It's like seventy-five dollars, but it's on a twenty-two percent uh, discount if you pre-purchase that. Um, I get. I guess to to, to start off uh, in terms of like delisting the Final Fantasy five and six uh, remakes, I don't really like that decision. To be honest, mm. I, I know a lot of people. Um, don't like those versions, and I get it. I totally understand. I agree with them, but despite of like how people feel about them, I don't think they should like permanently block off, like being able to purchase them or like trying to delete its, their existence like going forward. You know, just like just have the 3D remake like tag on them and then be off it because there are people who like spent so much time like making like over the years like making mods for these games to like have a acceptable like version of them and like people have grown quite of those mods for those uh you know releases so i just i don't like it i don't like them delisting um those even though they might not be the greatest versions of the game it's still it, it does them dirty and speaking about not the greatest versions of the game for these pixel remasters there is a key note on their store pages that say these are newly developed remaster editions based on the original titles some of the changes and additional elements found in other remakes, specifically like the Game Boy Advance additional content, like the super dungeons and bosses that they add, are, are not included. So this 
supposedly based on that little tag, are based on the original releases of these games. So uh, I guess that also means like no interlude, no after years for anyone who was really excited about those. Uh, no GBA content. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I wonder if this means if Final Fantasy 2 will have stat loss again. I, I wonder too. I guess this also means that Final Fantasy One will actually have will probably have magic charges instead of MP as well. Um, it's and also they they, they showed off screenshots for uh, the games and we got a great look at the at the font and the UI uh, for them. Um, not great. They kind of led with like something like Arial Narrow for the for the font. Um, yeah, I can't get used to the font. I'm sure that's. I, I don't know if people are being. I don't know if people are being serious, but people are like acting as if that's the default RPG Maker font. Is that true? I don't know if like no, that's like. It's, so. it's almost close, but I just feel like the font. It's not like it's the terrible font. It's just too much unused space. You know, it's like you don't want a UI just having like all this unused space. You know. Yeah, yeah you've got like the big blue border and like the the enemy names like in the upper left, and you got a bunch of unused space. And then on the battlefield itself, like the. The the backgrounds actually look pretty pretty darn nice, but like the character sprites are like way shunted to the right, and the enemies way shunted on the left, with a lot of empty space in the center. It just feels like they could have been like, especially especially if these are like designed to be phone games. Like I don't know, like I feel like some of the stuff could look really small on a on a on a mobile device. What were you saying earlier, Paige? I was like, well, at least for the PC, probably you might be able to fix it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I imagine like people are already like watching videos. They're like, "All right, we're gonna fucking we're, we're making sure this isn't like a thing." You know? uh, I'm just busy bulking at the Australian prices for. What are the Australian prices for them? So uh, one and two are about seventeen dollars each, and then the other games are twenty five ninety five. Oh my god! So all of them you can get for one hundred and seven dollars forty, and that's at the twenty two percent discount. Oh boy. So it's nearly one hundred and forty dollars, normally. Insane. <laughs> but so I, I think the main takeaway from all of this that I'm not the first person to mention this, so I'm not saying like this is an enlightening take. But I think the best case scenario going into the the idea of a remaster for all of these classic games would have been that we have a clear, definitive set of like these are where you want to play Final Fantasies one through six. And now, instead, we've got like yeah. that XCKD comic. I might have those letters in the wrong order, where it's like, I'm going to create a new definitive edition. The result is that there's just like another imperfect version, <laughs> where it's just like, yep. now you have another set of trade-offs to make if you want to play this version. That's, I know it's, it's different levels of truth to that for every game, but like, I don't know if I'd want to play this over the uh, complete collection version of Final Fantasy IV. <laughs> like, it's... It, Unless like those Steam modders really go to town and like make mm. it the definitive version, and it's still weird that like anyone who's hoping for a console announcement to leak out, like it's still a PC and a mobile game releasing individually or as a like sort of a bundle, like some weird yeah. decisions being made. I, here. I guess I, uh, like I, I can understand like the design philosophy going in like for Square Enix's perspective and like hey, I, we just want like we like make new versions of these games but like based on the original versions as much as possible so they're like trying to like cut out all the fluff that like they've accumulated over the years for good or for bad you know but it 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 stings because <laughs> because context is everything and the context of these releases hey you already made like bonuses for these games over the years you know it's kind of hard to like 
dip back into the quote unquote original right. well because you are you're trying to have it both ways. It's like that's not really how your the your fans will see it as, you know. They're just like you're charging us for something again, a re-release for with stripped bared down features that you already introduced in prior releases. It is I don't it's know. It's also kind of weird to think about like if you play these games on mobile, like Final Fantasy One and Two on mobile, like if you get those versions, I'm pretty sure those have like the bonus content, like those versions are gonna be removed with these new versions that don't. Yep. I mean, it's not that bonus content isn't like fantastic or absolutely like you know necessary, but it's still just kind of weird on paper. Yeah. Like, and for some of like you know the, the like the bonus content, like especially for Final Fantasy two, like that like that bonus content was like pretty awesome what they did to that. I don't know. I'll, I'll yeah. probably still play these. I'll probably still play these just because my curiosity uh, is getting the best of me. I'm just like I'm just so curious. I don't, I don't know if I'll play them, but I'll definitely like. I actually, I don't even. I won't even say definitely. I'll consider like just getting the bundle, just to have like access, like just just for like preservation's sake. I know it's kind of weird. They might they might delist the, <laughs> these down the, <laughs> down the road too. Yeah, like Square Enix has and continues with, as you can see with Final Fantasy V and VI. Like, no guarantee that it'll stay up there. So who Last knows? And, it's still not back on Steam. Nope. Remember can't that? get the can't, and then you can't get the original PC version of uh, Dragon Quest Eleven anymore. Yeah. Mm. So, so it's which a means people worse graphics then, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, but yeah, kind of a kind of a weird. Uh, you know, it's this really could have been a slam dunk, and I don't know, maybe if our expectations were misaligned. So I still think that this is positive to be able to have like the original version of Final Fantasy three in a, in a very in a faithful format. Final Fantasy 1 and 2 available on PC, which they weren't originally. It just feels like it's still missing the potential. I know I know the potential is sky high, but I was hoping they'd they'd land a little bit closer. Yeah, the the, the one thing I'll get though is like some of the 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 re revised enemy sprites are like really cool, like for the Lich. It's like based on like the original mono artwork for it. So it's I actually get the full frontal skull face on that Lich, uh unlike the earlier uh re-releases where it kind of was like more uh, tilt-shifted to the side um, for that sprite. So there are cool things about these re-releases. But, you know. If you're like, I can't have like a some imaginary scale of like, ah, this is good and this is bad and like, what's what what's the heavier of the two? It's like, you know, another compromised release in this definitive release. This is just how the series goes. Like, this is totally like the precedent was set that this is how it would go and this is how it's it a, went. It's not like I have to, it's not like, like uh, I don't have to like think about, oh, the Saga Frontier PS1 release versus this remastered release, which is the better version, you know? It's so frustrating. <laughs> um, to, to mess with your order that's written up, I was going to say, like, we can speak of bulking at PC game prices. <laughs> Uh, we can talk about that. So yeah, yeah. all right. So this is a this is kind of an interesting announcement that I don't think I've seen any other publisher make outright before. At least not in the way that Nice America did. So at the end of the current sales, like the Steam Summer Sale was, I don't know if it's still lingering on. Uh, but Nice America announced that a lot of their prices of their PC offerings will be getting a price increase once the current sales end. This includes like uh, games like 
silver case increasing from 10 to 20 bucks east eight increasing from 40 to 60 dollars this is america uh, us dollars again yeah. <laughs> uh and it's and they published this like in a newsletter almost like for our benefit where they have like a table of like here's what all the new prices will be you can now spend 20 bucks for yomawari night alone uh, instead of 10 and it just it's weird to have this be so candid like uh, we like prices i'm sure have fluctuated before and then like people who like do the price trackers on like steam or whatever will notice these things but they just like got ahead of that and, like nope we're just telling you outright that this is what's going on uh and then also like with the very vague qualifier pricing per region may vary so it's like is everything going to see hmm. the same increase will some regions see a higher Whoa. increase they so apparently uh, east eight like the full price for it on Australian Steam is sixty dollars, whereas I reckon if I you know, opened up the eShop or something, it'd probably be eighty or ninety. Usually, um, and I ask games at ninety dollars in Australia on like the consoles. So, so I have a friend that's in Honduras who, um, um, th- alongside this announcement, NIS America just outright changed the regional pricing. So before this announcement, they were would have been able to get Cold Steel 4 on PC for around 20 bucks. And now it's just 60 bucks no matter where you live. So I'd say actually the bigger news of this whole thing is not what they announced, but what they did alongside the announcement, which is the regional pricing change, which honestly, I think so many people just don't understand how big of a problem it is with companies like continually just saying hey we understand why regional pricing is a thing but screw all these people in third world countries that don't want to spend the equivalent of 180 dollars for a video game yeah a dollar is a dollar we're not going to factor in you know purchasing power like something like that happened in genshin impact too where they basically forced all the region to have the same like pricing or something like that oh fresh and i the only speculation that I saw on this is that a lot of these prices went down, like, I think it was like 12 or 18 months ago. And I guess, and this is like playing a lot of devil's advocate, where it's like, I guess they saw that the, it was like, there was like the demand was inelastic. So when they lowered the price, their revenue also went down because they didn't see like the surge in sales that they wanted to see. So now they're increasing the MSRP back up so that when they do have sales, they can spruce it up with a shiny higher percentage like now you can get east 8 for you know 66 percent off for 20 bucks rather than being half off for 20 bucks and more people will buy it that way and increase our bottom line it's like you have to be really cynical about like why would they do this and you know the inverse effect of that too is like since they announced it before the steam sales are over the steam sales aren't done until the july 8th so there's still about okay. almost almost a week left on those um since they announced that before those have ended, now people are like, oh shit, you better get these before they raise the price up now. So they're, they're just, just driving. Like rubbing their hands together. Uh huh. So they're just, uh, that, that's another way to just drive sales in the opposite effect, which is, I guess, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> what a weird, weird announcement. It's like, hey guy, just wanted to let you know that uh, everything's going to get more expensive. Very yeah. Soon. And adding, adding to the fact about the regional pricing going under the radar. Uh, the regional pricing dropping that going under the radar, and even even in the most gracious interpretation, it's just to try to make their sales look better. Maybe there's really no way to shape this in any sort of positive light. It's just weird. Just I don't know. All right, on more happy news, 
So those the the Pixel Remaster news and the Mana series were kind of like the two big events of the week. But as always, a few other things like filtered out through uh, individual publisher announcements. Uh, one of those was a release date for the mobile game near reincarnation. So this released in Japan or the Japanese version of it released in February this year. And the uh, we had the beta event and the storefront showed up for the global release. And the only real knowledge that we had of a date was that if you went to like the app store, it said it said they had like some like December, some November date. Yeah. It had some like November date, which was just like a placeholder. Uh, but we got an official announcement alongside with the uh, with a new version of the opening cinematic that near reincarnation will release on Android and iOS on July 28th. So before the end of the month. So having just now recently finished uh, near replicant the first time and playing near automata when when that came out, I am like I do have a passing interest in this. I just like I've never played a gotcha game, so I've got to like, oh, I don't know, like, how is it going to feel? Can I can I still get like something out of this without diving headfirst into that soup? Because I've heard like some impressions have been like really strong, but they're also from people who are more invested in these styles of games or have a more experience with them. So I, I will probably say, give this a go. Yeah, if you just give it a shot and don't get invested in a gotcha. That's like the the the, the real end goal is like, you know, obviously. If you have like the currency, go roll. But like, don't like, <laughs> don't, don't don't go dive into the deep end. Like you know, just like Walk just kind of live casino, with, like, but... <laughs> <laughs> like uh, get like live with what you have and like just play the game normally. You know, just don't, yeah, don't so the game it. did meet like a stated publisher goal of three hundred thousand pre-registrations. So everyone will start with extra gems to use in the gotcha system. Oh boy! Uh, and if they get and if they get more pre-registrations, apparently that number will go uh, will go up. And I just kind of also just want to try it, just like more, more genuinely, more, because it does have like a more like combat, a command menu based, yeah, uh, battle system and things like that, which I've yeah, always really enjoyed. Do. Yeah. So. So I guess besides you and me, because I'm I'm stupid and I'm gonna play this. Um, anyone else gonna give it a go? I, huh? I, the thing with mobile games that annoys me is like you just open it and that's just boom the tutorial. And like the text is like I tried playing like Cinna Alice and all it was just like the tutorial and like the low level play and I'm like I just can't be bothered going through this even like there's good collaboration events with like you know silly characters in like the um Shimogana Tensei one it's just like I don't want to do all this stuff just to get to it. Yeah, I feel that. But also I have like this signed Cinna Alice original soundtrack by Okabe sitting around. So at least, yeah, if, if, if nothing else, at least mobile games give us good music. <laughs> I have a signed copy of a game's album, and I still haven't beaten the game. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm their biggest fan. I only put like two hours into that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was a giveaway, so it's not as bad. <laughs> I yeah, I I don't know how to. This will probably do well in the West. I mean, your your fan base is very very loyal. Um, mm. So if hey, if Saga can find a success in the West with its mobile game, I'm sure Nier can. Sorry, I was just gonna say it's still wild to think that Nier is like an actually important franchise for Square now. Uh, it's scary. I'll be I'll admit it. It's kind of scary. I don't I don't like seeing things getting too mainstream. I because it's one of those things that's like I I liked it first before everyone else, and now it's We're changing. All a bunch of hipsters here. And now every now it's changing to suit the needs of like everyone else. But it was it was my series that I liked for this. Don't don't leave it like this. 
No, I'm happy for Nier. It's okay. We've talked about this game on a lot of previous podcasts, and we also talked about it a little bit early on this podcast, but we did have even more information about the upcoming Monster Hunter Stories 2. So we kind of joked and were a little bit like snide about how much this game has been marketed, which kind of feels weird. Like you're marketing it too much. It seems like a weird criticism. Uh, but what they actually showed this week was actually kind of really interesting. Uh, and I was mistaken about this stuff in a really dumb way. So uh, they had a special pre-launch program where basically they were talking about, obviously this game is releasing next week. Uh, what's in store for Monster Hunter Stories 2 for like post-launch support in a manner that's actually very similar to what they did for Monster Hunter World and a little more kind of similar to Rise, more on that later. So they have a roadmap, which I know is not interesting on its own because uh, roadmaps are like a dime a dozen these days and half the time they don't end up even being true, at least for maybe, maybe that's more a problem for Western publishers. But this roadmap that they've shown for Monster Hunter Stories 2 is pretty damn comprehensive. In July, they're talking about Palamute as a new monster. They're adding a bunch of monsters in August. Later in the year, uh, like Cold Teroth, new types of quests, Roshi Kirin, a bunch of other monsters that I'm not familiar with that James might be. Uh, new high difficulty co op quests. It's I'll really like. I'll say that, um, and just being very, very, very vague, because obviously, review embargo, weird situation where I can talk about, yeah, I'm playing this game. But I can't talk about specifics because it's like, eh. but it's definitely been fun where it's like, oh, hey, I wonder if it's going to be this monster. Oh, shit, it was. <laughs> it's one of those things where, like, I originally saw this roadmap and I wasn't reading it very carefully. And then I saw someone mention it later. Like, damn, the Monster Hunter Stories 2 roadmap is blowing the Rise roadmap, Monster Hunter Rise, which, remember, released just earlier this year <laughs> as like a major entry right. in the series. Uh, it blows it out of the water. I'm like, didn't they just show a Rise roadmap? Oh, wait, that's a stories roadmap. Like, it, it like really it tricked me into thinking that this was like for a, a mainline Monster Hunter game, but it's like for this RPG spinoff, they're putting this much effort into Whoa. the post-launch support for it. Go ahead. Yeah, because with the co-op, that's like the more focus. They can like give people more reasons to keep playing the game beyond beating the story. And I'm assuming it'll have PvP like the first one did. So the first Monster Hunter stories? Yeah, it you do get um, multiplayer. There is like you can do like PvP. Mm. That's uh, you know, I seem like that's what you've got to keep try to get people to keep playing it, and that's why I have these updates to give them extra things to do to keep a community active. It is it is really funny to see just how bare bones the roadmap to Rise is compared to the Stories Two roadmap because that roadmap is just like, um. Yeah, so in the end of July, we're going to have a, another collaboration with Capcom IP and uh, Event Quest. Then end of August, yeah, it's another collaboration with the Capcom IP and like Event Quest. It's like, it's so, it's so less filled out. It's like, there's so less to look forward to. Meanwhile, the Stories 2 roadmap has a very clear vision. Of like, okay, in August, it's going to be exactly this. Kovei Teroth, and then your new monsters are going to be like Hellblade, Glavinus, and Bolt Reaver, Stalus. And then early September, it's very clear like which monsters are coming to that. Uh, even October, like you, they still have a very clear vision of like these are the uh, Silver Rathalos and Gold Raytheon. And then Rise is like, I don't know, just some event oh. quest and some collab with the night. Yeah, literally for the right. June box, the July box, and the August box in the Rise roadmap, it says DLC and event quest. It's like, oh. Okay. Uh, well, you know, Rise is going to be—they're making the the next rank, 
<laughs> I was gonna say G-Ring, but I think they called it a master in the last thing. Well, I mean, that's not even a super great excuse considering <laughs> World had like plenty of like the updates. festival, yeah. Yeah, I mean on one hand, you don't need any additional content in Rise right now. Like my main issues with it at launch was that it was clear that it just wasn't finished. And now with the first two title updates, it is finished. But the thing you got to remember is that the stuff that World did with continual support, like actual like support, like new monsters, all that sort of sort of stuff, that was entirely new for the series. It used to be that any additional content, quote unquote, for um, a Monster Hunter game was already built into the game files. And literally all you were downloading were just like event quests that would give you access to those items or give you access to those monsters. It's one like of those things. It, it stings because there's this kind of, because they're going to a more traditional Monster Hunter pipeline after World and Iceborne. Because World and Iceborne really like you really did feel like oh, they're just actually getting continually supported. It doesn't it doesn't feel yeah, Iceborne specifically was did a really good job. I mean, hell, we gave it our didn't we give it like best ongoing like support for probably yeah we did yeah yeah. 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 I mean, I still stand by that. They did a yeah. really good job with Iceborne, making sure that there was like con- like consistent like updates happening for the game and it was just like really really like good stuff yeah so i mean just it's context is everything because like it just it's just yes it's a, a more traditional um approach to it with rise but coming off of those games where they really sh- switched it up it just it feels more um it really highlights it i guess as a problem now comp- compared to back then because you didn't have those expectations back then um but yeah i mean I'm really excited for stories too. Uh, I'm definitely going to go all in on it once it uh, launches. I'm really excited to see like how they switched it up. Uh, those they uh, showed off footage of like the co-op quests. I uh, actually wanted to talk about that. Yeah, because that was the one thing that I don't think really showed off very well. So obviously, okay. as of right now, this is a um, coming out on Switch and PC, and the footage was of the Switch version, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, so like the co-op it showed like one of the players engaging in the in the uh encounter with the with the monster on field and then like like they had a loading screen from the other player who then joined and it looked really slow and cumbersome the way that it allowed two people to enter the same like turn-based battle arena lots of loading screens and really kind of awkward it's hard to explain without watching it it is okay yeah Uh, it is really okay uh, it is really funny because like in in stories too, you can see the monster and like you uh, you approach them and then you engage in a turn based uh, encounter with them. So like as soon as you make contact with a monster in co op mode, it'll like just immediately cut to like a, 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 a now connecting box, like mm-hmm. like a good like five to like eight seconds. And it's like okay, all right, and then I'll get the battle started. And then at the other uh, person's view, who you're co oping with, when you're engaged with a monster. You'll see, like, kind of like, uh, like, sort of like that cartoonish, like when two people get into a yeah, fight, like, it was like, like the, the, the dust cloud with like the yeah, in the, in the in the legs kicking out. Yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then so they can like enter like the battle from then on through that, to, like to help you out in battle. It kind of reminds me like at how Atlantic Online did it. It's like it, that was a an MMO that had turn based battles, but like in the middle of battle, people can like join your battle with their whole party as well. I mean, that just reminds me of how Toontown Online did it, where literally you were just standing in the middle of the street throwing, like, pies at a freaking robot, and people can run into you and just join the party that way. 
Yeah, so it's it's kind of quaint and antique in that aspect. It's really it really speaks to like a bygone era when they did when they showed it off like that. I was really laughing, uh, but hopefully, you know the pc side of it is hopefully a little bit quicker i am also not really um a fan of there there are certain instances in monster hunter 2 uh, stories 2 battles where you get into like this clash with the with the monster and you have to like repeatedly tap a a a a a like it's like like a quick time event like kind of overpower it and then like their store uh, like their whole reasoning behind it's like oh we just want to like you know switch up the tempo the combat so we include well, it was in it's the like, first one I forget. There's, I, my memory of the first one is so like cloudy. Like I don't yeah. even remember what's um, in the first one anymore. When I played the demo, I immediately started mashing when I saw it came up, but the tutorial pop up to talk to me was in the way. I'm like, ah! <laughs> I already started going for it. It's just, uh, and then yeah. I mean, it look it looks fun to play with other people. Obviously, I'm. I hope. Uh, are you gonna get the Switch version or the or the PC version, Paige? Which for sure, I got my. I'm gonna go get up the three amiibos. Oh, they're ridiculous course. price points, and yeah. yeah. Well, it was, it's nice knowing you because everyone else. When, like, when, 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 when are we getting Steam? <laughs> yeah, when are we getting Steam amiibos? I, uh, they should have got crossplay to this <laughs> yeah. game. Honestly, I would like to see crossplay well, between Switch and PC. Uh, I'm gonna have specific silly outfits that you guys weren't. So yeah, you're right. Oh, I'm uh, sure they're still in the PC files somewhere. Some of them will make them on. Oh, look at this bus. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I guess at <laughs> least with the PC, maybe there'd be a mod to, like, make Navira shut up. Nude mods, here we go. As oh, just no. <laughs> well, we know what Ryan's going to go to for the PC version. But hey, Ryan, Navira's already nude. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'm not <gonna laughs> There's ask. a mod to put pants on him or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just costumes, but... I, I, well, I wonder least... if the um, Umaru hoodie's going to come back. Hmm? Um, in the the first game, there was like a Imuru hoodie that you could put on um, Naviru. It was like a DLC. Hmm. No, I want to see like uh, I, I want to see like the, the the Nintendo stuff get modded and like play as Samus and Link and all that. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't wait for the, the Nintendo collabs with this. Like, oh, here's Samus. Here's your new monster, Samus. Yeah, Riot hasn't <laughs> really gotten those either. I think it's one of those things that, like, since it, it has a PC version, uh, both Stories Two and Rise, I don't. I think they're more. Um, Rise is only getting Capcom collabs, according to the roadmap. Yeah, like I think yeah. they're more hesitant of, uh, on giving Nintendo coll- IP collabs because it'll get a PC version down but, the line, and yeah, but like, they want to reach parity with, with content. Well, on that, they did like costumes that were Sony exclusive. That is true, and some of that stuff was like the Horizon Zero Dawn. Costumes that ended up that uh, game's on PC now, but they're still not on the PC version of. Oh uh, yeah, World. yeah, <laughs> it's kind of ironic because that is funny. Yeah, I forgot about that. To be honest, <laughs> all right. Here's another trailer that I want to talk about for a right. very different game, and I wasn't originally going to talk about this, but uh, I, I I'm bringing it up for a reason. So I'm talking about Skyward Sword HD quality of life trailer. This is <laughs> so obviously this game is releasing in a couple weeks, two weeks basically. Uh, and Skyward Sword, a lot of the bugbears with that game are well documented, well known, and well worn. Uh, and this trailer is addressing some of those concerns about you can increase the tech speed, you can have Fee only pop out. Is it Fee or Fi? Uh, only pop out when you want her to. And then my favorite is about streamlined item information, is how they tag this. 
So famously or infamously in Skyward Sword, whenever you rebooted the game, whenever you grabbed a rupee or a material item like an amber, that you would get the tooltip that said like exactly what it was, even if you had already picked it up a dozen times. And I love how they address this in the trailer. It shows him, it shows them opening a chest, getting the item in it. It is a uh, it's a stamina fruit, if you must know. It tells you what it does. And then it shows them saving and quitting, reloading their save, and opening the same chest and not getting the tooltip. And you I just a, felt I, you I got just an amber relic. Go These amber colored chunks of precious stone are found everywhere. No one knows sure. Uh, no one knows where their strange shape comes from. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a lot of the stuff, skippable cutscenes, or like uh, the fact that you have the dialogue box completely filled, because this is obviously the Zelda game only has like the fake voice acting, the like the, the Animal Crossing noises. Uh, and like, wait, you couldn't do that before? You couldn't just like skip through the dialogue? You had to like watch it like scroll out and you had to watch all the cutscenes? That I'm less surprised by. So a lot of this stuff is weird that they're taking a marketing angle on this sort of stuff, but I guess maybe it works. Like, I, 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 lo- I love it. It's, well, it's so funny. That. Like people, that. people have to understand that like play Skyward Sword back in the day, the, the original release was like it was so excruciating with so many of its like I couldn't get past the motion controls because I it wouldn't recognize me fainting <laughs> attacks. Yeah, I was stuck yeah, on the I mean, like first year. I'm like, surprised ages. that so many people liked the game back in the day. I mean, it got extremely like high, highly acclaimed scores from game review sites all over the world. But just... but like but the the critical reviews are one thing, but like actual like word of mouth on it. Anyone you speak to that has actually played the game, it's like, nah, dude, I'm good. I, I, <laughs> I'm alright. There's there's aspects of it that I like. I like kind of what it does with Zelda. I like that it involves other characters kind of prominently like Groose. But 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 I'm talking like I'm trying I'm trying only like in certain snippets or certain contexts there's aspects of the game that I really enjoy but as like a as a complete product it's I'm on wait, the same Wait wait wait. <laughs> so so you're telling me that some people don't think that Groose is the best part of Skyward Sword because he I don't know cuz I don't I don't want to be friends with those people. I I like when um <laughs> Beetle kicks you out of, of his shop if you don't buy something. <laughs> he drops you. Learn a little bit about him. I don't know there's some fun stuff that they do with Skyloft, but I, I don't want to go. We we talked about a bunch of this when this remaster was announced, but there's just so many missed opportunities here where like 10 years later or whatever, the sky, or maybe it wasn't 10 at the time, but like how bare the sky is compared to even like the Wind Waker Sea, which was already criticized for that. And it like was even worse. Just stuff like that. I'm just like, I'm surprised that. That's as far as they went with some of the some of the stuff like that, but I do not I, plan on replaying this uh, this remaster. I just hope more uh, publishers take note and have uh, dedicated quality of life trailers to their releases yes. like this uh, moving forward. I want to hear about all your new tool tips and all your new like shortcut configurations. Mm-hmm. Give it to me, please. Your, more quality of life. Your, yeah, your your quick loads and your quick saves. <laughs> couple other little tiny pieces of bit news uh here's one that's actually pretty exciting uh we got an update on sales for the persona series uh specifically that the persona 4 golden pc port has sold 1 million copies which is i think crazy and also remarkable and also it kind of shows like the untapped pc market for this series Mm. so obviously this release as a surprise last year it was a 20 dollar price point 
It's the only full Persona game on PC. Obviously, Strikers has joined it since then. Hey. Red page. Hey, looking. Are you looking forward to the um, one million unit survey they're gonna do? <laughs> for no, I don't know. I don't know about that. What's that? I just the joke. Oh, I because <laughs> Atlas and, and Sega usually like the, they're more very um, they're very heavy handed with their surveys. They like it seems like every quarter they they always release a survey and like say, hey, what what would you like to see on PC? And then they have like check boxes like the Devil Summoner series, the Shin Megami Tensei series, or whatever. It's like. Uh, all right, can't wait for the other survey. You know what this tells Atlas uh, for the Persona 4 Golden PC sales? No. What does it say? Uh, it tells them we're never going to release another Persona game on PC ever again. Yeah, this, yeah, this is this is a lot and done. Yep. <laughs> uh, the other part of this was that uh, Persona 5 Royal has sold more than 1.8 million units. So, pretty good for exclusive these days. And then the the Persona series as a whole. Has reached uh, 15 million. Does that put it above Gex? Not. I think Gex is still uh, a top. Damn. Next time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Gex is the king, dude. You can't. You can't. Uh, you can't compare. You can't compete. It's Gex. What's it is kind of interesting. Gex game. I haven't oh, played that series since PlayStation One. So. I, I think that's pretty much it. <laughs> is that it? This is that. Okay, fine. I wasn't expecting that. That I'm googling Gex series, going to its Wikipedia page. It's, 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 it's like it's such a stupidly like wide joke that like people have been like kind of memeing on and like, oh, Ge- Gex has outsold all of Persona. Who cares about how Gex, much it sells? Gex three Deep Cover Gecko was on PS one and N sixty four. There you it go. Released in nineteen ninety nine. There you go. <laughs> stupid Gex. Uh, but it's it is still weird that. Uh, like as of two years ago, like the two big JRPG, and I know I know there's more than this, but the two big JRPG absences on the PC space were Persona and Kingdom Hearts, and now they're both there in some respect. Kingdom Hearts almost entirely, so that's kind of crazy. And you might you know see more Sony output uh, on their end because they acquired Nix's uh, the the oh, right. PC yep. company who did like uh, the Tomb Raider games the and the DSX series. So, you know, might have more uh, previously exclusives coming to the PC. I love this is the obligatory uh, Bloodborne. (laughs) I love how um, so Sony announced that they purchased Nexus and uh, Housemark using these like pre-made assets to share it with like a banner of all of these different Sony properties in the background. And then like the Japanese PlayStation account accidentally announced that they were buying Bluepoint. <laughs> and now like Bluepoint's trying to say, oh no, we're 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 still fully independent, even though the asset was unique and it came from an official PlayStation account. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder when they're gonna announce that. It it feels certain after that, but who knows? Maybe they're still trying to finalize things and that asset just got leaked. Who knows? But that that that's a weird one. That's a weird one. But it, I mean, I do think I'm not I'm not super invested in the Sony ecosystem, but the, the acquisitions that they have made seem really smart. Like it's the sort of thing where it's like, I already thought Insomniac was theirs. I already thought Bluepoint was theirs. I already thought Housemark was theirs. It's like all those make sense. Well, Nixus makes sense less from a, oh, they've worked with them in the past. But it's like if Sony is serious about porting more games to PC and Horizon right. did pretty well, Days Gone did pretty well. I mean, it makes sense that they'd want to have a more dedicated studio that has a proven track record for porting console games to PC. 
that way they can maximize the workflow, get the ports out at a more frequent pace, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's 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 better than contracting because you know if you're if you're just contracting things, it's like you have to be placed under a queue and be like, oh, hey, well, we have this many clients up before you, you know, we have to get this out. It's like it's a, <laughs> I imagine Sony's like, you know what? Forget that. We'll just fucking buy you, okay? <laughs> Who did the Horizon port? Wasn't it a? It was a. I forget who it was. I know originally it was out of house, but then after the right. original port, basically, Gorilla went in and fixed up the port themselves. So, like, as far as I can tell, the version of Horizon that people are playing on PC now is basically all of Gorilla's work, but it wasn't the case at launch. I do wonder now, like in the future, if. Crystal Dynamics and Eidos Montreal ever revisit Tomb Raider and the Deus Ex series. Um, if they get PC releases, like which which uh, studio they'll turn to for like the PC ports now since Nixon was their go-to. Here's a news bit that maybe only I'm interested in. Uh, but the upcoming CRPG Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous is also slated to launch for consoles, PlayStation and Xbox in 2021. Okay. To me, that this is... Go ahead. I was like, it wasn't wasn't there just a Pathfinder game that just got released on console the other month? <laughs> uh, maybe it was uh, different. Well, so I've always played these on PC. So sometimes when the console releases yeah, come out, I, I don't really pay attention to. But it seems like in the last like four years, Divinity Original Sin came out as a PC game, and then eventually made its way to console. Uh, Pathfinder Kingmaker was a PC game and eventually made its way to console. Uh, Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire was a PC game and eventually made its way to console. So Wrath of the Righteous, it's still launching on PC first, but they've said it will also release on console the same year. So kind of bringing it a little bit more online. So I guess that says that they're seeing enough sales from the console versions of these games, especially now that these games are getting like turn-based modes at launch, which usually those have been like modded or added in later, which might make it more conducive to uh, the uh, the console controls where the real-time system is, in, is a little bit unwieldy. So... Always good to see more people like in this case, it's not like a region or like it's just it's the, it's a different platform, but kind of going the other way going from PC to consoles. But just I think it's just kind of good news all around. It's hard. It's, it's impossible to dislike this. So to be clear, Pathfinder Kingmaker released originally on PC in 2018 and then it released for consoles in 2020. So. So now we have two year gap yeah, to, like, a, to a same year gap. Like I, I swear I saw like. Copies come in fairly recently. Local store. Well, like Pathfinder Kingmaker, the the P, the turn based mode was originally a mod that I don't know if they like worked with the modder or they did it independently of the modder, but they ended up basically adopting a turn based mode on their own, which is what uh, Wrath of the Righteous is launching with, which was highly regarded with the original game. So, so the game is coming out September second for PC, and then sometime also this year for uh, consoles. And here's another game that we haven't really talked about on the on the uh, podcast much, but we did bring it up at least once, and I wanted to follow up on it. And that is Magic Legends. This was a Perfect World Entertainment MMO based on the uh, magic, you know, that whole lore and universe that I was tangentially interested in for a very short time until I think Josh read some of the gameplay designs around it, where you actually like had to buy basically booster packs they try to like digitize the idea of buying like a booster pack of cards where like the skills and the, their strength and effectiveness were basically gotcha it was basically uh yeah it uh sounded bizarre 
Yeah, and maybe if it was like carefully constructed, that could have worked, but it was not. And it turns out that Magic Legends will shut down on October 31st. It will never have gotten the chance to leave open beta. So just uh, uh, another kind of very similar to the Crucible thing. Only even Crucible, as as a disaster as that was, did release technically. It, it went back into beta and then was canceled. Uh, Magic Legends won't even get that chance. So yeah. not very often on the uh, RPG site sidebar, we can actually use the canceled tag. So I'm sure Adam got a kick out of that. Though honestly, what's worse, a game that released, then got unreleased and canceled, or a game that just never got released? That's a good point. But Were you going to say something, uh, Josh? No, I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying, like, yeah, we don't really see, like, this type of, of cancellations out on the open so often, you know? Like, it's just one of those weird, bizarre things that, I guess it's kind of admirable that they're kind of just putting it dead on arrival. It's like, instead of, like, putting this out in the open and then people spend how much money into whatever weird monetization scheme they're buying into with the with their with the structures that they built they're just like you know what we've heard it loud and clear from our community this was like a mistake from the get-go we're sorry and they are uh refunding any money that was spent in the beta yeah so is, that that yeah. is at least commendable so the, the, the faq that they released alongside this cancellation announcement is like Pretty interesting. It's like, will it still be released on consoles and Steam? No, it will not release on Xbox or Steam. It's like, yes, canceled means canceled. Uh, and then obviously they talk about the, the refunds and uh, it does like they are also being refunded if you purchase through Epic Game Store. Um, the servers are shutting down on October 31st. So and you can't the, the in-game store is already disabled. So I'm not a big magic head and I know I don't know many people that are. It feels like one of those IPs that's ripe for a good video game that I'd, I'd love to have like a video game entrance. Like, all right, I want to know a little bit more about this world. That's part of the reason I think I was interested in the idea of a big MMO for this in the first place, like as a like an entry point. Like, I want to learn more about this world that's been going on for decades, maybe not decades, but several years. Uh, but nope, this won't be the chance to do that either. Uh, so maybe next time. And that is all I had listed for this podcast. So uh, somehow we managed to cover all the available topics before hitting the three hour mark it's been a while since we've been able Yay. to do that yeah we finally have a short podcast for once yeah, we have a a short, short podcast at two <laughs> hours <laughs> yeah our short podcast this this is short for us so uh mm. it's probably like 6 a.m for page so uh, sorry for, so sorry yeah sorry for uh strong strong arming you into this but no it was really cool to have you on and uh obviously that we'd love to have you anytime even though i know that the time zone may, might make it difficult this depends if I have work or not. <laughs> all right. So we'll look forward to that. Uh, obviously, all the news that we talked about on this podcast is up on the site. All the features that we talked about last week are still up on the site. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash RPG site. We also are on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. I'm sure if you search RPG site, you can find us. We do have a Discord channel, discord.com slash RPG site. And then, of course, our main website, rpgsite.net. So. Thank you for listening. Thank you for reading. And then hopefully with a little more uh, videos going out, thank you for watching. Thank you, James, for kind of spearheading that front. Until next time, take care, stay safe. I'll talk to you then.